Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, Maddie. Michael, yes. Yeah, uh, you know I uh, got arrested today. You got what? I got arrested. You got arrested? Yeah, for carrying these two guns. And you're kissing your bicep. Yeah, just joking, just joking. But uh, do you, you happen to know where the vet is? I was at the vet yesterday. <laughs> I want to know where the vet is because these two pythons are sick. And again, he's kissing his bicep. No, 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 just joking, just joking. But you know I can't wear a, a jacket, right? Because if I do, I'll be charged for carrying concealed weapons. Uh, no, 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 just joking, just joking. You know that they thought I uh, I robbed a dairy farm? Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike's Medical Podcast. Uh, muscles today. That's why I was kissing. Oh, that explains kissing it. Kissing my biceps uh, and trying to I'll kiss my calves. Disturbed. Kiss my baby cows. Hey, Ben. I've been well. What's new? Um, Who cares? So, let's do. <laughs> <laughs> muscles. You ready? This is going to be one of two because we, today we're going to look at. The overview of muscles and the anatomy so of muscles. So this is the start of a new system. Start of a new system. Do you need oh. to do any um, groundkeeping before you start? Or housekeeping, <laughs> should I say? Groundkeeping, it housekeeping. Really matter, right? I live in a house. You live out in an f- open field. In the ground, yeah. In the ground, like a like a rabbit. Like a, you live in a a, a warren. What was my nickname at school? <laughs> the rabbit or warren? Queensland. It's illegal to have rabbits. True. Unless and you're a magician. <laughs> is that true? Apparently. I looked it up because I wanted to get rabbits to cut my grass. <laughs> but apparently you can't. You need to be either a, ma- a magician or for science purposes. Wow. We're scientists. That's true. But you probably can't take it home. Mm. So, do some groundkeeping. Let's do some groundkeeping. We are available on Twitter individually. I'm at Mikey Todd. Todd. M I C K E Y. Okay. T-O-D. Yep. And Matt is at Dr. Bartox. 
at D-R-B-A-R-T-O-X. So you can contact us there. Or we've got the actual podcast Twitter page, which is at GU Biosciences. Uh, you can contact us on Facebook. Just type in Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike's Medical Podcast. We've got Instagram as well. Just have a look. And you can also send us an email, GUBiosciences at gmail.com. Let's begin with muscles. Shall we do an overview of muscles? What a... Okay. I've obviously got heaps of them. That's the first point. For some reason, Matt's just taking his socks off. What are you doing? I wanted to show you my muscles at the end of my feet. <laughs> what muscles would they be? No, I just noticed my socks was in, inside out. Cool. Glad you did it while we're doing a podcast. All right. Well, while Matt puts his socks on, because he's got the world's worst timing, Done. we're, we're going to go through the muscular system. and Let's do a quick overview, overview definition. Why do we have muscles? Why do I have heaps? Why do you not have many? I've got the same number of you, as you. What number? How many muscles I are there in the body? Know. You want to know how many there are? Are we are we adding up? Okay. How many different types of muscles what are there? I mean there? by types. Mm, good point. How many different major categories of muscles? <laughs> this is not getting easier. Okay. Three. Okay. What are the what are the three muscle types? Uh, skeletal. Yeah. Cardiac. Yep. And smooth. Okay. I don't know how if you would add them all together. I don't know how many there are in the body, but I know that there's about 660 skeletal muscles in okay. the body. And these are the muscles that are attached to our skeleton, Bones. head skeletal muscle, for conscious movement. Not always conscious movement, but for volition and movement. Right? Yeah. I think you, I think most of them you'd have conscious control over, to a degree. Like you could least, right? Yeah, it's true. Like, uh, so... so Blinking, for example, most of the time we don't do that consciously, but we can. Mm-hmm. Breathing. And, and breathing. Esophagus. Swallowing. Yeah. Well, Again. you generally initiate your swallow. Yeah, but the first third of the esophagus is skeletal muscle, right? Mm. So you, that's what I mean. You initiate that part, but the rest you don't. All right. Anyway, but let's what, why do be- we have them? Why do we have muscles? Let's start at the beginning. Okay. Oh, that's a good question. Why do we have muscles? Yeah. All right. So they're generally considered... No, I shouldn't say that. They do a number of things. Um, so, if you look at a whole range of animals, probably most people would say the muscles in these animals, uh, functional-wise, is to move things, yeah. move, move stuff. Yeah. Would you agree? Yeah. What type Stu- of stuff? Stuff could be the animal itself. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, they would generally be considered moving the skeleton or the cartilage. Okay. Or it might be to move viscera. Yeah. Or stuff in the viscera. So organ-based stuff. Yeah, and then there'll be blood-based movement, which would be probably more cardiac, so heart. You, you pretty much summarised skeletal, smooth, and cardiac there. That's just in movement, though. So, yeah. But there are other things that muscles do other than movement as a purpose. Well, that's important because, let me just say that, most cells or many cells in the body actually have cytoskeletal components that allow them to be able to move in one way or another. So there are cells that can form. There are cells that can move around, and they're not muscle Muscles. based cells. So, for example, these cytoskeletal. What I'm saying, cyto means cells, skeletal just means structure or architecture. So there's things within cells that allow cells to shorten and lengthen, yep. right, at will, for lack of a better term, which allows the cell towards, to towards a guy called Will, towards a, a guy called William. <laughs> That allows for these cells to have some sort of locomotion, so movement, okay. but also have phagocytic activity. So that means to eat, uh, you know, so to engulf 
something that's around it, and also for mitosis. So this is when a cell splits to make right. more copies of itself. So all these things involve movement yeah. and involve cytoskeletal structures that allow it to move. Hence, movement for muscle isn't its sole definition. Oh, okay. That was my whole point, is that you can't just stop at muscle's definition of movement. So, but isn't it right to say that muscle is more of a tissue than a cell? Absolutely, so but it, like every tissue is made up of cells and it's the yeah. cell that shortens and lengthens. Right. So, what I'm saying is that even though muscle cells shorten and lengthen mm. for movement to occur, there are other cells that also shorten and lengthen that aren't called muscle cells. Okay. Because it happens differently. So, the way that these other cells do it is by something called polymerization and depolymerization events. Mm. So, this is where, think about like Lego blocks, right? Polymerization is getting one Lego block and clicking on more on top of it, making it longer, right? Depolymerization is just unclicking the Lego blocks. That's how these cells move around or change their shape, is by getting these cytoskeletal structures and doing that. Muscle doesn't do that, right? Right. Muscle slides across each other, which we'll talk about later on. Yep, okay. But the you would define muscle in terms of its function as just lengthening and shortening, shortening, right? Really? Yeah, the muscle cells. Muscle cells. Yes, but the muscle as a tissue performs many roles. Yeah, but yeah. essentially what comes out of their role is still based on them just getting longer and shorter. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So that's it's right. pretty basic when you break it down that all they do is just get short and long, short and long, short and long. But what they actually then do to the body... Could be they might move things like yep. you already said, yeah. But they could do other things like I don't know. Here's other things. Uh, don't know. Like what? Well, a big one is it will keep you will keep your temperature regulated, so that kind of fits in to, to last week's what stuff on homeostasis. How? Well, if you move your muscle, mm-hmm. um, it generates uh, skeletal muscle. Okay, it generates heat as a byproduct. Is that true by saying that? Some people would say no, but I say absolutely. Okay. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. So I know one person would say no, but I'd so say we went definitely. So we went to a talk recently and it was just stated that um, there's the energy output of a, of a cell, wasn't it? Yeah. It's yep. basically just... So remember, energy outputs via the mitochondria. Yeah. Yep. So glucose and oxygen in and all that goes out is ATP and CO2, really. But... With no other kind of energy. Water. But, yeah. Um, but there's no... But in this sense, we we kind of... As in we, Michael and I, are in the consensus that there'll be other energy given off, which yeah. would be, for instance, uh, in, in muscle contraction, heat. And you could see that. So when you are con- uh, exercising... Again, Michael is the um, athlete here, so correct me if I'm wrong, Michael. Yeah. But one of the limiting factors of a ath- athlete in, his, in their performance is keeping at a good temperature. That is absolutely so a rate-limiting factor. If you can keep at a physiological temperature for a longer period, you probably will compete very well in that event. So why do you reckon that's the case? Well, I guess if you start overheating... Now, you're talking about internal body temperature, obviously. Yeah. Yep. And so if you can keep your body temperature at a nice, stable 37 degrees while you're running a marathon or doing a triathlon... Um, you're gonna your whole efficiency of your body is gonna be higher, and so as soon as you get start to get hotter and hotter, your efficiency will start to drop. And this is because probably pro- all your proteins and channels and. But you know there are there are 
heat shock proteins. Oh, yeah, okay. Right, and, and these heat shock proteins tend to get activated in times of internal increased body temperature. Right. And they can actually have, some can actually have some beneficial effects in regards to, to um, just maintaining, trying to maintain health. Okay. In that scenario. But you're right. You're right. Because you're going to have overall increased body temperature. And that's also going to relate to wa- result in water loss, ion loss, so forth. Yeah. Trying and to so cool you down. become less and less efficient, right? Mm, mm. And so this is why some athletes may use cooling vests or, um, I don't know, what else? Can they Fans use? on their hat. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was just me. Yeah, that's right. Uh, strapping air conditioning units to their back. Yeah. I'm not sure that would work at all. <laughs> Um, so, temperature regulation is one. Okay, that's one. I think that's real. Do you agree with that? <laughs> I think so. Okay, Honestly, I, I mean, okay, if you look at the physics of it, when energy is neither created nor destroyed, but it is transferred and often energy is lost. So, when you go to take glucose with some other products and create energy, you're going to release energy in the form of heat. You're going to. Yeah. yeah. I mean... We know that, so we all know that if I stood here right now and contracted my bicep 50 times, contract, relax, contract, relax, if you put your hand on my bicep, it would get hot. Now, that's not because, that's not necessarily because... More blood flow. That's right. It's because of the more blood flow. It's not because necessarily because of all the heat that's being produced from the bicep, but because more blood needs to go to that area to provide it with nutrients, and blood is what Mm. carries the temperature. So it could be a bit bit of both, really. And so, like, if you've got an inflamed area of your body let's say going back to last week you stepped on that nail Mm. and your foot becomes inflamed and infected Mm. uh, it will get hot Mm. which is again probably more than just blood flow to the area it's probably Mm. also a lot of cells are cytokine really hyperactive and need and burn a lot of energy right but potentially yeah that's probably why people get hungry and and lose weight when they're sick we may be wrong yeah happy to be happy to be proven wrong yeah so Temperature regulation is one. Now, other things that muscles do, now Michael might disagree with this, but apparently, other than heat as an output, muscles can also create noise. I don't mean noise and you can audibly hear Hear my bicep squeak when I pick up a dumbbell. But certain uh, species, let's say, we're jumping into the marine, marine world here. God, we haven't even started with humans properly. Yeah, well, you asked me what the function of muscles were. So, when you're in the um, water as a fish, um, other animals, yeah. so let's say predatory animals like sharks or bigger fish, can actually hear, not through their ears, they have special receptors elsewhere in their body, um, their muscles of fish contracting. Yeah, I don't, I don't and, believe and it. This is <laughs> this is how sharks and so forth pick up the activity of other fish, you know, when they're maybe um, injured or they're feeding. I honestly, I honestly think that it, it can't be the sound emanating directly from the muscle contraction. It must be the result of the muscle contracting and making some sort of movement in the water and this is then creating some sort of sound wave within the water, from movement within the water. Not not the sound of the fibres I don't, I, don't I don't know if it's rubbing against that. each other like bloody sure. Tin Man oh, for the Wizard is, of Oz. There is a movement in there, so in there there has to be some kind of sound emanating. Yeah. Anyway, if this is less controversial. Muscles will also cause an electrical voltage. That's okay. true. Okay, and so they'll only contract if they've been given yeah, a particular right. voltage, and that comes from your nerves, and then that will change, um, you know, sodium 
channels and calcium channels in the muscles to then cause that to happen. So, you know, with skeletal muscle, mm. for every kilogram of skeletal muscle, you release 100 watts of power. So, that's like a... Light bulb. Yeah. Like a decent powered light bulb. All right. So, with that in mind, so there's certain, again, in fish, they can utilize this electricity. Mm. So, they've got special organs, believe it or not, they've got special organs that they can hold on to that electricity. And then they can zap things with it. Sounds like an electric eel, mate. Yeah, exactly. And that's so How do they hold on to it? Oh, they've got a special organ that I guess somehow charges <laughs> like a battery, I don't know. And then they discharge it when they want to zap something. Right. And how much can they release voltage wise? Stop asking these questions. Well, I'm not a marine biologist. <laughs> well, no, you like to act that you are though, don't you? Um, I'm just a comparative and anatomist. And there's also animals that will just put an electrical um, field out yeah. in front of them and then they know when something's come into that field. Well, which, would very be, cool. which would be particularly useful if you're in murky, dark water. Yeah. You could pick up things. It'd be useful for us. Coming into your area mm. and they eat them. It's a great so, idea. So there's some... So basically you've, you're using the muscular system for food, for defense, for navigation and then for movement. Nice. And heat. Like fish will uh, move their eyes to keep warm. Really? Yeah. It generates that much heat? Well, a lot of blood vessels in your head. Even in a fish head? We've got big brains. Fish don't. Okay. I'm really so challenging I, you today. So I, I think we've done muscles. Yep. Are you happy with the def- definition? Yeah, definition was good. Okay. I so like let's, it. Let's now move on to muscle types, which we've kind of already done. So first of all, let's just form the basis that yep. in your body, so we're now into humans, not fish. Good. Um, yeah, Michael's thankful. That's exactly what everyone wants to hear. We have four types of tissue. Yeah. So we've got um, epithelial tissue, which yep. usually covers things. Yep. Uh, or lines, lightens the outside of things or inside of organs. Yeah, yeah, we got that. Yeah. <laughs> there's connective tissue that puts everything together. Yep. And then there's nervous tissue, which we've already spoke about. Communication. Uh, and then the fourth type is muscle. Movement. And so this moves it. No, not only movement. Um <laughs> This moves us on to oh. muscular tissue. Okay, and so the types. Within muscular tissue, there, there now are three different types. Okay, which one do you want to start at? You take over. Okay, let's start at, okay, let's finish with skeletal muscle because that's going to be the main one we focus on. Let's start with smooth muscle. All right, firstly, where will you find smooth muscle? Well, smooth muscle um, generally is considered, it will move viscera. Viscera meaning? So, wherever you have viscera, you will have smooth muscle. So, organs. Yeah. Okay. And so... So, an example would be lungs. Lungs. Or at least bronchioles. Yeah. The tubes on the way down to the lungs anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Not the diaphragm. That's skeletal muscle. Yes. Yes, it is. Yep. Um, that big long tube from your mouth to your anus. What tube is that? Which is your gut tube. Oh, yeah. That is all... Lined with smooth muscle. Yep. All your blood vessels. Mm-hmm. Um, well, not the capillaries, but you know the arteries, arterioles. So would it be fair to say that smooth muscle moves your internal yeah, milieu? Moves your internal milieu. I like the word milieu. Who is that? Milieu. Some milieu. French, French person. Yeah. No, no, it's not a person. It's a term. Okay. Stuff. Environment. Yeah. Uh, internal. Well. 
Depends how you define Oh, it moves that. your blood, it moves your fecal material, it moves your food, it moves your urine, it moves uh, not air, but it helps facilitate the quantity of air coming in and out of your lungs. So, yeah, the internal milieu. Sure. All right, You're with that? Go. All right. That's what it does. That's what smooth muscle does. Should we talk about how it looks? Um, I think so. It's just, it's smooth. Well, okay. All right. No, that's a good point. Okay. All right. So, smooth muscle does look smooth under a microscope, and you compare this to the other two types, which is cardiac and skeletal. They don't look smooth. They look, they have, there's this term called striated, and striated striped. just means banded, striped, right? Now, the reason that they look striped is because if you go inside each of the cells of these muscle tissues, cardiac and skeletal, there's actually subunits or components that cross-link over. So, they're like little plates stacked on top of each other, and they form definitive bands, right? And it's these plates that slide across each other that result in the contraction. And they're not really plates. They're more like tubes, right? But they're all stacked on top of each other. Now... Skeletal muscle and cardiac muscle have these in a particular way, and they're visible, and you can see it, and that, hence they're called striated. Smooth muscle, they don't have that. They're more like... They're contracted uh, in a different way. Like a draw, drawstring bag. That's know? a great way of putting it. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, like the old school drawstring bag where you pull... That's how I hold all my coins and pogs. You... P- you... You... P- you remember pogs? <laughs> You put um you pull the top end of the drawstring and it it, it closes the aperture and brings the bag together, doesn't it? <laughs> the aperture and so of the anything bag. inside it gets squeezed. Yeah. So if you had a balloon inside it mm-hmm. and you pulled it together, it would start to squash the balloon. Yeah. And that's kind of the basis of how smooth muscle works. I like that. So there's no definite bands or or striations or stripes or anything like that. In addition to that, its shape is spindle-shaped. Which is what? Uh, It looks like an eye. You know how an eye is tapered on both ends? So that's what it looks like. As in an eye, like what's in your, what you see with. Yeah, not the the letter letter I. Yeah, but like, yeah, that's right. Um, And another important feature is that it is uninucleated. What does that mean? Uni is one. Yeah. So it has one nucleus per cell. Uh, which means there's just one, each cell has a single nucleus which contains its genetic material. Brilliant. Right? Last thing is that it's this muscle contracts involuntarily. So you have no control over. That's right. And think about it, that's pretty important. It's good that we have no control over the urine traveling from our kidneys <laughs> down into be careful, our be careful. ureters to our bladder and, <laughs> Maybe from the, and, and the, urethra. The bladder at least. Very, yeah, I mean, we do want to have final control of the sphincters, but we don't contract the muscle through our urethra and actively push it through. No, that's true. Um, but you do want to have some control of your bladder, very true. Otherwise, you went yourself. Same with digestive system, mm-hmm. right? You've got a level degree of control there, but again, you've got control of the sphincters there, um, or at least the external sphincter, not the internal sphincter. Mm-hmm. Um, that's yeah, that's right. That's involuntary. So there was a lack of voluntary use there, and this muscle, again, from like you said, from the lower two-thirds of the esophagus all the way down to the rectum and the anus is smooth muscle and it contracts. Thirds. Now, you put your rectum in thirds. Excuse me? Yeah. Just like your esophagus goes in thirds. So the distal, the distal one-third of your esophagus you have control over. And, and same. No, no, no. The proximal one-third of your esophagus you have control over. 
and the, and the distal one third of your rectum you have control over. Yeah. Yeah. I said, didn't I? You said esophagus. Did I? Yeah. How do I get those two pipes mixed up? I, I don't know. Um, but it all contracts involuntarily. And think about how does it do it. It does it as though you've got a stocking. You put a tennis ball in that stocking and you need to get that tennis ball from one end to the other. You'll squeeze your hand around it and continue to move. So it's this patterned like wave-like motion called peristalsis. That's how That's smooth, in the GRT, right? That's in the GRT. What That's how elsewhere? the smooth muscles contract. I guess it's peristalsis uh, in the um, kidneys yeah. or from the kidneys down to the bladder. Yeah. That would be the same. And what that's why blood people vessels? get that's why people get really bad pain when there's stones in there. Because yeah, that's right. They can, the wave like patterns contract around the stone yeah. and this stretches the the stretch receptors in the smooth muscle, which results in pain. Now that's actually an important point because when it, you look at the GIT and the urinary tract, a lot of the pain receptors are elicited due to stretch issues. Mm, mm. So a lot of the time, if you've got some sort of uh, cut or incision or whatever to the GIT viscera, for example, may not necessarily be felt as severely or at all or, or at all, compared to gas distending yeah. your GIT resulting yeah. in abdominal pain. Which makes sense because you don't really need reception in your bowel for touch or for people sticking knives into it. Yeah, we would never have evolved that. But you would want to receive signals for an obstruction. Exactly. Because it's problematic and you need to deal with it. Yeah, perfect. Mm. All right, there's that. And the same goes with the ureters. You've got a stone stuck there. Mm. It's highly painful. Yeah, I heard it's, you know, what do they what do men say it's the it's the male equivalent of giving birth? I don't know about that. Yeah, I don't know why they say that. I think because th- males have nothing else to hold on to. My th- pun. I think um a lot of people think that the painful part of passing a stone is getting it from the bladder out through the penis. That's the easiest part. But yeah, I think it's in the most cases, tube. you wouldn't widest even, tube. You wouldn't even feel it. Uh that part. Or just pass through that part without even knowing. Depending on the size of the stone. That'd be a big stone to feel it right that bit. Uh, even a grain of sand would be felt. Nah. Yeah. I don't think so. I think I'm so. I'm debating against that. Okay. I think you a definitely lot of feel a grain of sand I, in the ureter. Yeah. I think a lot of people will pass stones um, from the bladder out to the toilet without even knowing. So, True. they'd either have a look in the toilet or pee through a... Uh, strainer. <laughs> <laughs> happy, um, we're happy with smooth muscle. Let's yeah, smooth muscle is done now. Cardiac. So cardiac is. Let's go through the same points then. Cardiac is a function, Maddie. Uh, it moves. It's in your heart muscle. So it's your heart muscle essentially. Cardiac. Muscle. So it's in the heart muscle. It is the heart muscle. It is collectively. It is the heart muscle. All right. So all your cardiac muscles put together will give you the myocardium of your heart, which is. Uh, What's myo mean? I'd be guessing this. Um, 90% of the volume of your heart, would you say? Is so myocardium. you pull your heart out. Metaphorically or literally? <laughs> literally. Literally? Yeah. Like a Temple be. of Doom, Indiana Jones? No, the the guy of Dumb and Dumber. How, how he had a fight with that kung fu in the restaurant. Yeah, you do know that that was a copy of Indiana Jones oh, and the Temple of Doom. That's why they did it. Oh, very good. He reaches in and pulls it out. Dun, 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 dun. In his hand. Um, so if you looked at the heart in volume or mass, I would. I'd be. This is just a guess. I'd say at least ninety percent of it would be at least muscle. I'd say ninety-five percent. Yeah. 
And that's a guess too. <laughs> so, so we're both probably I wrong. Quantified this, but that's yeah. So that's um. And what's myocardium. it do? What's it do? Yeah. Oh, we need to the prefix myo. When you hear myo, it just means you're in the land of muscles. Okay. What about when you hear the prefix prefix sarco? Skeletal muscles. Is that right? Uh, I think it means flesh. Like specifically means flesh. But yeah. but basically myo and sarco are. Prefixes meaning they go at the front of words yep. that tell you that we're referring to muscle. But I think sarco is specifically skeletal muscle, isn't it? I've I can't think of a time when I'd use it in something that's not skeletal muscle. Okay. Yeah. Because right. we often refer to the sarcoplasm, plasm, which is the cytoplasm, the sarcolemma, which yep. is this so cell membrane, membrane or sarcoplasmic um, reticulum. That's right, which is the endoplasmic reticulum. Yep. We'll talk about that later on. All right. So, today, what does the heart? Okay, obviously the heart muscle, when it contracts, it pushes blood around. That's ba- its basic function. Well, out of the heart. Yeah, but around as well, like around the heart. Yeah, you know, I guess from, it gives the ventric- blood. It gives the blood pressure in the yeah in the body generally. Now the the cells itself. I said that smooth muscle was spindle shaped, so like an eye. Heart muscle is branched. Yeah, like, so, like a tree. Like a tree branch. So you can see it's got the main part of it and then little branches coming off. Mm. Now, that means that it's connected to other cells other branches. through other branches. Mm. And they're held together by connections called intercalated discs. And this holds one cell to another cell and doesn't just hold it together, but allows communication between one cell and another. Which is very important. So why is it important for the heart that one cell can speak to the next cell, which can speak to the next cell? Well, what's one of the main... What, what is the purpose of the heart, really? Well, the heart contracts as a whole thing, right? So it's you would say that its main function, what it needs to do well, is to pump. It needs yeah? to pump, yeah, true. And so unlike a mechanical pump, water pump, that's done by machinery. This is done by a muscle. And so to get that fluid out of it, it has to coordinate the contraction. So just like you said with your uh, stocking analogy, you've got to make sure you push it from one one end and keep pushing it just behind that bolus of fluid. So it ejects the fluid out of the heart efficiently. So the reason why all these branched cardiac muscles are linked together is that when one cell gets stimulated to contract the yeah. next cell gets stimulated and the next cell and it's so a it's domino effect of contraction mm. now this is called a syncytium when one cell so what a syncytium is is when an entire collection of cells act as though it's a single cell so when a tissue acts as though it's basically one cell meaning when one cell contracts the whole tissue contracts that's a syncytium mm. and that's what the heart is yep um, it's uni and, and so, sometimes multi. So if it doesn't do that well, that's moving to a, dece- a disease or disorder called dysrhythmia, mm. which can be subtle or fatal. That's in a, true in because a long continuum. So if if so, if what, you have too much caffeine, let's yeah, say, yeah. So this is the problem with these big energy drinks like Mothers or Red Bull. We don't Bull. need to name them. <laughs> no, I have to, because <laughs> um, this is a health promotion. No, as it's well, not, Michael. No, it's not. Um, Particularly for young young children, they shouldn't be consuming this huge amounts of caffeine. But anyway, the sugar too is pretty. If you were <laughs> pretty the horrific. caffeine, the caffeine is uh, angin. No, what's it's an antagonist for adenosine. Adenosine. Yeah, adenosine. And that changes some of the electrical properties, particularly in the heart, mm-hmm. and that can cause an, a dysrhythmia, mm-hmm. um, most notably atrial fibrillation. 
And when you have a heart that's fibrillating, it's kind of like, you know, you've got a bowl of jelly and you just shake it. Mm. That's kind of what the atria are doing. I like to call it a bag of worms. Or you can... All right. Um, either way, it's what it's illustrating is that that efficiency of ejection... Now, in terms of the atria, it's probably slightly less than if the ventricles are doing it. What do you mean? Less... less um, uh, what's the word? Not say problematic. Vital. Sure, problematic. It's still problematic, but it's probably not going to be as immediate as if your ventricles went into fibrillation. Because if your ventricles went into fibrillation, like the bowl of jelly or the bag of worms, you would probably faint pretty quickly and it's a an emergency. So this now what is that means is that the, the cells aren't acting like a syncytium. It means the cells are basically groups of cells within that tissue are contracting independently of one another. Yeah, that's that's what it's referring to. So no to. blood's moving. Yeah. And so a, a VF... Ventricular a, fib. Yep. A VF rhythm is a medical emergency. And that's a shockable... Tooth saw rhythm. That's a shockable rhythm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Whereas AF, you know, you potentially could live with it for long periods of time. But that's... Again, just illustrating that when the heart's not contracting in unison because these cells aren't communicating well with the next cell and the next That's cell. a good point because when you defibrillate someone, yeah. they're in fibrillation, predominantly V-fib, so ventricular fibrillation, because again, if the ventricle's acting like a bag of worms, there's not one nice big strong contraction that's pushing the blood out. Mm. So the blood pulls and it doesn't get delivered to the body. So you defibrillate, meaning you, you send a big strong charge throughout all of the cells and get them to start again at the same time. That's the whole intention behind it, right, Matt? That's right. Is that you'll send one shock through all of them and they all reset, reset. because for some reason they're all doing it in, in independently of one another. And while we're there, just to make sure we clear it, is that you would never shock a flat line. So when you always see in the movies where yeah, you've got yeah, a flat line, yeah. nothing's happening in the heart, heart's not doing anything at all. You can't shock it because it's not going to do anything. You no, just that's right. CPR it. Yeah. Anyway, um, mo- we haven't was- moved on yet because we need to talk about uh, the. So fa- these are intercalated discs. What they do is they hold it, each cells together. So when they contract, they don't rip apart. Yep. As well as they have special gap junctions which allow um, ions to move through. Into Basically, the, next the electrical cell, signal, and that allows them, as you said, to contract in unison. Okay, and again, it's involuntary. You don't consciously think. Contract, relax, contract, relax, contract. Thank Christ for that because it would be quite bothersome if we had to tell our heart to consciously contract each time. Skeletal muscle, we're here. Moving on to skeletal muscle. Was there anything else you want to say? But uh, cardiac, cardiac is striated though. It does have those stripes. It is striated. It is uninuclear, sometimes binuclear, mm-hmm. meaning it has one to a couple more nuclei. But skeletal muscle... It's shaped like a cylinder, right? Like a big long tube. Like a big long tube, and it sits sort of parallel with all the other big long tubes. In, in, so, t- kind of together, they are in an, another big tube. That's right. And I guess it depends on the whole. It's like shape. muscle inception. So you got you got one tube, which is a single muscle cell, which is also known as a muscle fiber, yep. and then these fibers are bundled together with other muscle fibers. You see this called a um, fascicle, right? You'll see this if you um, eat chicken. So if you consume chicken, yeah. most notably, when you pull the 
the breast part apart, usually the breast part, you'll see all these fibers kind of rip apart. So they're the mu- they're the muscle fibers. So they're kind of individual, kind of probably more than one, but they're the, the cells of the the pectoralis major of the chicken. There you go. And so these cells. Is that fair by saying? Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. So these muscle fibers or muscle cells, um, they're quite big, right? They're quite big cells. Uh, yeah, so they're multinucleated tube-like cells. Actually, can we? Can I ask you a question here? Go this, for it. This came to me the other day. Yeah. You know how a couple of weeks ago you said, um, "What's the biggest cell in your body versus what's the mm. smallest?" Mm. Could you be right by saying, because I'm just, I just, it just came to me when I was driving, that you can have one cell, yeah, like a neuron cell, yeah, that could go from your toe, yeah. All the way up into your yeah, you're probably, yeah, you're probably right there. I know it's very yeah. thin, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you probably wouldn't be able to see it yeah. naked eye, unlike a ovary, yeah. like oocyte. But collectively in volume, surely that would be bigger. Maybe well, not. I don't know. Well, I mean, muscle cells are big. Yeah, they're muscle. like the muscle cells. Again, you probably can't see them with your eye, but they're big in length. So if you look at the longest muscle, which I think. Is the gracilis? Hmm. That's my guess. So they're between ten to a hundred microns in diameter, hmm. and can be centimeters long. Yeah, I know, but you still wouldn't be able to see them a naked eye, right? Well, not if they're ten to a hundred micrometers. That's so a millimeter. Everyone can picture a millimeter in their head, one hmm. tenth of a centimeter, right? That's a millimeter. Ten to one hundred. Ten to one tenth to one hundredth of a millimeter is the diameter of a muscle fiber. Okay. So that's pretty small, yeah. right? Um, but they're long. But they like can be said. centimeters long. Yeah. Or more. You, yeah, half a meter. I mean, not yeah. quite. Well, it depends on the person, I guess. But many centimeters long, you could say. Um, so that skeletal muscle, it contracts consciously, but is also bound up to our skeletal system. Yeah, which could be both cartilage and bones. True. How does the muscle connect to the skeletal system? Tendons, usually. Okay. So, it's tendons that hold muscle to bone. Yep. What is it that holds muscle to muscle? An aponeurosis, maybe? An aponeurosis. What? Which is still a tendon. It's just a flat tendon. Then what's a ligament, then? That's a ligament's bone, bone to bone? bone. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, ligament is bone to bone. Mm. Tendons... Are muscles to bone, and an aponeuroses are often found at the ends of bones, uh, at the ends of muscles, as a connective tissue. May not necessarily hold it to the bone, but it may do. Like you can see an aponeuroses on your stomach, on your abdominals, yeah. and that and that's just between the abdominal separations, yeah, right? Or the ones between you, say, your the muscle on your forehead. So when you crinkle your forehead, that's True. called the frontalis. Yeah. And to the onto the back where you can kind of somewhat crinkle your scalp at the back. Yeah, you see the bald, baldies. That is one muscle. Mm. But the in the top of your crown yeah. is the aponeurosis. And it's just this white sheet-like collagenous, you know, filled with collagen, hence it being very white. Yeah, I think it's a tendon, really. I think it's just a flat tendon. It is a flat tendon. Yeah, yeah it is a flat tendon, but tendons are filled with collagen. Okay, yep. Because, and they're white telling you the avascular, which means, you know, you tear a muscle, it fixes very quickly. You tear a tendon, 
fixes very slowly. And a, a lot of this has to do, a couple of reasons, but one of which has to do with the blood supply. Yep. Tendons are very poor in regards to the blood supply. Hence why, if you end up tearing a tendon, it takes a lot longer to, to but fix. But they're still better than ligaments. Absolutely, because that's bone to bone. And then cartilage. And cartilage even more so. You can tear cartilage. It's difficult to do so, but you can. And they take a long time to fix. But that's one of the that's one of the great things about skeletal muscle is it has this ability to regenerate and respond to acute or even chronic injury. Yep. And that's what's so one of the things that's so spectacular about it. The way that this muscle works is by shortening, right? Yeah. So if so you can think about so what about a muscle of our arm, right? So the bicep, right? You're an an anatomist. Where's the bicep muscle? So bicep means two heads, right? Two heads. So there's two muscles here. So the, the bicep, there's two biceps in your uh, upper arm. Where are they attached? They're, but the, the one bicep brachii. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, the bicep brachii having two heads. So you're going to have one that kind of, the long head goes right into your shoulder joint. Okay. And kind of goes around the where the humerus actually attaches to the scapula. Cool. All right. And the other one goes to your scapula at a place called the coracoid process. Yeah, okay, so that, that's that's its connection proximally. Where's its distal connection? So it's actually got kind of got two. It's got an aponeurosis, which will go down kind of onto the ulna, I believe, and the other one will So go that's the elbow, but that's the, uh, that's the bone that's connected the to the elbow. Of the, inside of the elbow. Yep. Um, the, kind of that area where they take blood, you know, that hollow point. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. And the other one goes to the radius. Okay, great point. So... And the, and the important point... Well, I'm getting too much into functional anatomy now, so... I might stop. No, no. Well, my point about highlighting this is that this muscle is connected at the shoulder, basically, mm. and at the forearm, and it sits on the pretty much there on the humerus. Yep. Right on the upper arm. Why? Because when you contract that muscle, you shorten it, and what inevitably happens is you're bringing the forearm closer to the shoulder. Mm. Now. Skeletal muscle can only tra- contract a maximum of 30% of its full length. Okay. Right? So, once you've done th- once you've done that, once you've contracted that skeletal muscle 30% of its full length, if you want to contract or, or move even more, you need to use the leverage system of your skeletal system. Right? Okay. So, it's, that's why these muscles are attached to lever points. So, the muscle may want to move something, and that's fine, but only can move something 30% of its length. You want to move it even further, attach that muscle to bone that's at hinge points, mm. such as where the elbow is and at the yeah. shoulder, and you get far greater range of movement. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. So it's basically the muscular system piggybacking on the skeletal system is what we call the musculoskeletal system right. and is what generally we refer to as giving us free range movement. Okay. And when you look at the muscle, you've got... Your origin insertion, which you mentioned. Yeah, so uh, so the origin at this point, what does that refer to that's as opposed the, to the insertion? That's the, place, that's the place that's fixed. It generally won't move. Gotcha. And is, is that insertion? usually proximal? Is that usually closest to the trunk? Oh, I don't know if there is. Sure. Maybe. Yeah. I've never really thought about it. But so how do you know? How do you know which one's the origin and which one's the insertion? Well, just by the one that when you, if you move that muscle, the origin doesn't move, but gotcha. the insertion will move. So for the bicep... The connect the attachment at the uh, deltoid. Sorry, the connection at the um, shoulder. Shoulder is the insertion. The, uh, is the origin. origin? Sorry, that's fixed. Yeah. Yep. 
and the insertion is down there at the ulnar and hu- yeah. uh, radius. And so you get most of the movement at the elbow joint. Yep. But because it crosses the shoulder joint, you technically speaking, you might be able to get a bit of uh, shoulder flexion with your biceps as well. Mm. Yeah. Perfect. And then because it's inserted on two two bones, now you'll see this because you're a much more of a gym person than I am, Michael. Yes, I do look but, better than you. But you'll see. Is that what you said? Basically, oh, okay. you'll see at the gym with the bicep, um, because it's Did you say bicep, bicep, because you're attached, inserted mm. uh, in the radius. The radius um, is the one that radiates or moves your palm, mm. helps to move your palm. Uh, how would you do it? Face down, face up, face down, face up. Yeah. Yeah. So pronation, supination. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so if you are pronated, yeah, so which means palm down, palm down, and you try and do a bicep curl, yeah, you deactivate a lot of the bicep bracci. So why is that? Because of the way it's inserted. Gotcha. So you'll see a lot of people at the gym. They'll start with a dumbbell curl. Yeah. Pronated, but they'll flex whilst they're supinating. Yep. And why would they do that? That gives them. A greater, de- a, d- a greater degree of the muscles then activated. Wow, there you go. That's interesting. I like that. Whereas, I'm going to have to use that in the gym. Whereas if you just do a uh, bicep curl completely pronated, which you will see some people do. Completely pronated? Completely pronated. Yeah. Particularly in a bar. A little T-Rex. Yeah, I've seen that. They, it's, it's working the muscle more so underneath it called the brachialis. Gotcha. Gotcha. Nice. Um, so, uh, I like that. So, is there any... So, there's, w- w- since we're on that, there's a few things we should just talk about. You have the muscles that are moving things, and they're called the agonist. Yeah. So, we'll stay on oh, the bicep. Yeah. Yep. So, when you are moving your palm, let's say how we describe this to the listeners. Okay. So, you've got your r- right hand stretched out. Yeah. Um, palm facing up. Palm facing up, and your arm's pretty much straight. Like you're so about to do an arm at the curl. Elbow, okay? Yep. Now, if you bring your palm up towards your shoulder... Like you are up, doing an arm curl, yeah. Yeah, all the way up. Okay. The the muscle that primarily does that is your bicep. Yep. Again, Michael's kissing. He's not mine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, that's called... So, the, the bicep at this point is called the agonist. Okay? And why is that? It's, it's agonizing ag- the agonizing movement. movement. Whereas, to do that, you'd ha- logically, you need to turn off the muscle on the other side of the arm. So, so the one that extends it. Extends it. So you need to turn... The tricep? Triceps. Because the triceps is the antagonist. Okay, okay. so... So, if, okay. So for... If they ever... This just goes into more functional anatomy, but if they say, you know, for um, elbow flexion, okay, the agonist... That's a bicep curl, is ag- elbow flexion. Yeah, the agonists are the biceps. Yep. The antagonists are the... Triceps. Triceps. Brilliant. So... But then you bring in another term, which is called a synergist, and yep. that's something that helps, generally will assist the movement or stabilize the joints to allow the movement. So, is there one for the bicep? Well, probably you'd have the coracobrachialis and you might have some of the shoulder stabilizing muscles like the rotator cuffs. Yeah. Probably would help. Yeah. Yeah. Now, have you... Okay, so, have you ever heard of... Um, you know how Michael J. Fox has Parkinson's disease, mm. right? He's also got a disorder where you can have antagonistic muscles contracting at the exact same time. 
you know what that's called? So it's not that's not just part of Parkinson's Parkinsonia. It is. It's part of a a, a Parkinsonian phenotype. Yeah. Um. Do you remember? Do you know what it's called? I don't know the name of it, but I I just thought from the dysfunction of Parkinson's disease mm-hmm. that uh, it's it's a difficult thing to explain. But one of the functional areas of your brain called the basal ganglion, mm. which is where all the dopamine cells are. Mm-hmm. Um. Which is the problematic area in Parkinson's disease? Yeah, but mind you, Michael did a PhD in this, so he's an expert. But I'll just keep talking. Mm-hmm. Um, he, <laughs> sorry, uh, with Parkinsonian disease or syndrome. Yeah. Um, for you to move a muscle, your basal ganglion, so your part of your brain, has to coordinate activating the flexors mm-hmm. of that movement, and then turning off the antagonists. Yeah. And so when that is disrupted, it kind of turns them on and off, oscillates between the two. And that's why with Parkinson's, Parkinson's disease or Parkinsonian, you'll get them a resting tremor where they shake because mm-hmm. it's kind of... But when they start moving, it kind of will start to smoothen out. Which has to do with the dopaminergic feedback in the basal ganglia. Mm. But with Parkinsonian disorders such as Parkinson's disease and dystonia and so forth, which is often often comes together sometimes, such yeah. as with what Michael J. Fox has, both dystonia, Parkinsonism, right? And some people get it with drugs. And you can get it with drugs, and I can tell you a story in one second. Um, with dystonia, you get the contraction, the simultaneous contraction of the agonist and the antagonistic muscles, right? Now, this sort of makes the patient sort of feel like they're being torn apart, Okay. And it's this spasmodic sort of contraction known as, if it ha- you know, you, you can see it happen of the neck, the muscles of the neck. Yeah. It's called torticollis. Yeah, yeah. And it sort of looks like this writhing rhythm. So this writhing movement of the head because the agonistic and antagonistic muscles are contraction, contracting at the That's same time. That's also more Huntington's, isn't it? Uh, you can get in MS too. Yeah. So I thought that was the Huntington's chorea. Chorea. Yeah. A uh, bit different, but... Okay. The spasmatic torticollis is a sign of dystonia. Agonistic, antagonistic muscles contract at the same time. And again, it hurts. Think about if, if you were to contract your bicep and tricep at the same time. Where does your arm go? Yeah. Does it go up or down? Does it extend or flex or what? And so it's going to feel like it's been torn. It's going to hurt and your arm's going to writhe. It's going to have that oh, wow. snake-like move, movement to it. Amazing. Yeah. So that, that's an important point All when right, you're looking at those m- muscles. Before we move on to maybe how it develops, there's mm-hmm. a few other ways you can classify skeletal muscle. You can classify skeletal muscle based on its colour, surprisingly. So, you, within the muscle belly itself, yeah. you could have what we call white or red fibres. Okay. And that's usually to go with twitch, tonic, so how um, fast or slow twitch the muscles So, type are. 1 and type 2. Type 1 is slow twitch, type 2 is fast twitch. Yeah, and then you have the location. Okay. So, so you can have muscle that is um, somatic. So that mean, means um, body, doesn't it? Means body or visceral. It means organs. Then you can have um, whether it's voluntary or not. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so a good example is the diaphragm. So the diaphragm is technically probably a bit of both. You can control your breathing, but you can't stop it completely. Yeah. Okay. And then we also have the uh, embryological origin 
So mm. where it's come from, which we can do in a second if you want me to. Yep. So with the fast twitch, slow twitch. Mm. Slow twitch is type one. Fast twitch is slight, type two. We'll talk more about it when we look at the physiology of muscle contractions so next, week. next week. But just so people are aware, the slow twitch muscle fibers, as a general rule, so they're called tonic fibers. Yep. Help enable long endurance movement. So like so like distance running. You're generally born with this complement. You can't really change it too much. Yeah, as far as I'm aware, absolutely. And the fast twitch, which is type 2, these muscles fatigue faster, but are used often with these uh, explosive sort of movements like a sprint. So basically, slow twitch, endurance, fast twitch, sprinting. And whereas with weight and resistance training, I think you can play around more with your twitch fibers than your slow fibers so and you my understanding is you can't change between slow and fast or slow and quick well we'll we'll chat about that next week all right um however um with weight training Mm. so when you go to the gym and lift weights um why does your muscles get bigger this is actually a quite a difficult question to answer because the general understanding is that muscle damage and muscle tearing needs to occur in order for rebuilding to occur. When we say tearing, we don't literally mean you tear your muscle in half. No, often, they will often refer to it as micro tears, yeah. but sort of just sort of like these little micro strains in the tissue. Right. Um, Which will co- cause and the thought a reaction is, and inflammation probably. Yes, and the thought is that in this tissue, particularly skeletal muscle tissue, there are a type of stem cell that sit there called satellite cells. Okay. Yep. And the idea is that, and we might talk a bit more about it next week, but just generally here, the idea is that what happens is these uh, satellite cells are activated after injury, they expand, and they recapitulate the differentiation program, which is basically... Similar to what happens when you're developing skeletal muscle as an embryo, it it starts to create new muscle fibers and try and maintain that muscle architecture. So these satellite cells are sort of wedged between what's called the basement membrane. This at least this is where they quite likely lie. The basement membrane, which is like the bottom of the the tissue where it's attached, right, and the sarcolemma which is the plasma membrane. So, did I say tissue attached where the cells attached? So, the basement membrane of the cell where it's usually attached to the plasma membrane. And so, when these tears occur, these satellite cells are activated and increase the amount of myofibers, which is... So, they're the inner components of the muscle fiber or the muscle cell. Yes. Which can... So, basically, if you think about it, if you try to lift, say... 40 kilos doing bicep curls and you can't or you Mm. just do one or two and you start doing micro tears, the logical thing that your body wants to do is to make more protein strings to be able to pull on Mm. to make you to lift more weights. The general consensus is you don't create new muscle cells. They're not cells, so they're fibers. You just strengthen or hypertrophy, meaning increase the size of the current ones by increasing the the fibrils. The fibrils, which so is the, the which protein. is the components of the fibers. You got yeah, fibers are the muscle fibers are muscle cells, and inside the muscle cells you have fibrils, which are like tube-like structures. They're protein strings. That's right. And so they're the ones that can shorten and lengthen. 
Yeah. And so let's say you have a hundred in each cell. If you add it to one hundred and ten, you have the capacity to be able to contract more, lift more weight. Yeah. yeah. And but 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 by increasing ten percent for each cell, that's going to make your muscles get bigger. And if you have a look inside of a skeletal muscle cell, there is not much room for anything but these fibrils and mitochondria. The yeah, nucleus, because it's so packed inside, the nucleus is pushed to the outer edge. Yeah. And, and, it's, it, and so that's it's packed. I'm not sure if we said this, but they're in a muscle cell, skeletal muscle cell, there are multiple nuclei. Multiple nuclei. And this probably works off what we're just talking about. To create new proteins. You need a, more nuclei is not only important for holding your DNA and so forth, but it's important to um, to make new proteins. And the proteins, in this case, you want to make are the contractile proteins. Actin and myosin, which we'll talk about next week. All right, but um, so we've spoken about weight training on the, the change in muscles. Yeah. But also with aging, mm. you as you age, you'll get um, loss of muscle fibers, and so they say by about fifty, the age of fifty, you've lost about ten percent. So start taking testosterone enhancement therapy. <laughs> That's but, a joke. But you no can need. counteract that by. Resistance training and yeah. active. They actually say that there's a huge amount of research, they being researchers, state that there's a huge benefit in even just beginning a weight training program in your 50s and 60s. Hmm. Huge benefit to maintaining muscle strength and mass and even and health, obviously. Yep. Now, uh, so... And I think just with the aging, I think they lose the fast twitch quicker than the slow twitch. Maybe, not sure. I'll look into that. Now, so we've wh- done. I'm thinking about types. I'm thinking about embryology, and no one you else never is. I'm thinking about whether we should do it or not. <laughs> but can we just say in in the beginning, right? Which is a good place bang, to start. Yes, I know we did that last week. <laughs> no, no, it was a week before. But when we create embryonic muscle cells, this is from a cell type called myoblasts, right? So, myo means muscle, blast means to build. So, these are muscle building cells and they're derived by a tissue type called mesenchyme. Am I correct, Matthew? I'm correct. And they (laughs) ultimately fuse, these myoblasts fuse together to form muscle cells. Now, when I say mesenchyme, what do I mean? From my understanding, it kind of means uh, from the mesoderm, which is the middle germal layer out of the three. Now, just... So that people are all on the same page, you've, mummy and daddy have done the dirty and... No, no, I think just loved, this is way too loved early? each other in a special way. Okay, they've loved each other in a special way, that egg has been fertilized. The so biggest cell in the body versus the smallest. That's right, has been fertilized as it, tra- as it moves its way through the fallopian tubes towards the uterus, it divides and so forth until it's a marula... The marula then turns into a blastocyst and embeds itself into the uterine wall. Yep. By this time, it's what? Between 16 and 30-something-odd cells. Uh, and it starts to grow and divide. And at what point does this ball of cells have three major cell layers? Uh, three weeks. Okay, so at three weeks, you've got a visible three layers. Yeah. Okay, and... What are the layers going from the... Now, is it like a disc of layers or is yeah. it a ball of layers? I think disc is the one. Okay, so a disc with three layers. Yeah. So like three plates stacked on top of each sure, other? Sure, yeah. Okay, so the top plate 
is as, what? As in the dorsal, so the back of the of the embryo. So okay, so the back of the embryo, which all will be ultimately become the back of the embryo. What's that s- cell layer called? That's the ectoderm. Then the middle one? Mesoderm. And then the very bottom one? Endoderm. Which forms the belly? It forms your gut tube mostly. So. Okay. Now, the mesenchyme comes from the mesoderm, did you say? Yeah. Which is the middle one. The middle one. And this forms the connective tissue. Well, the mesenchyme just kind of, my understanding is the, it's kind of the connective tissue part from the mesoderm. Yeah. But with your um, muscle, mm-hmm. so when you're developing, remember going back to the nervous system, we spoke about the neural tube. Remember that? Yeah, I remember the that. The neural tube closed up. No, about 21 days. Okay, so this happens after those this, three layers. This comes out of the ectoderm. Yeah, which the is the, out, the, out, the top yeah, layer, the back. Right. So that closes up into its own little tube, yep. which gives you the spinal cord and brain. Yep. Right on either side of that neural tube is because the neural tube will give you and the notochord, which is chordates. You know, that's what all vertebrates will have. That's going to be... Let's just say that makes your part of your intervertebral disc, so part of your spinal column. Okay. okay, so on either side of that, so right, left side, is a part. This you have this coalescing of mesenchyme, and that forms. That's come from the middle layer. Yep, that's right. Yep. It forms something called a somite. Okay, so you're saying that we've got those three layers. The very top layer has turned into a tube. Yeah. Uh, the neural tube, and it sort of pushes itself downwards into the mesoderm. Yeah. The mesoderm started to differentiate into mesenchyme. Which is one, the, one the part of it would yeah. one part would, which is sort of like the connective tissue precursor, yeah. and that starts to wrap itself around the neural tube. Is that what you said? Uh, well, or just go either side of the neural well, tube. We just got these big bundles on either side. Okay. That and if you break your body up into sections of your vertebra, mm-hmm. so you know how you got C one, C two, C three. Yeah, so cervical. Yeah. Yeah, you have these clumps of mesodermal tissue called somites okay. on either side. Yeah. They're going to give you essentially your skin. Okay. They're going to give you some bones and they're going to give your skeletal muscles. And skeletal a muscles. A big, a big part of skeletal muscles. Yeah. So the mesoderm yeah. turned into mesenchyme and the mesenchyme turned best, into... I think it's best to say it forms into paraxial, para-axial. Yeah. So either side. or Para means around, doesn't it? Or or away, yeah. uh, from the axis, yeah, which then forms in the somite, yeah. Okay, somites will then give you a, a, a dermatome. Dermatome, you should guess what that's going to make. A dermis, yeah, yeah, and then it's going to give you your, your myotomes, which you already spoke about. You got that, everyone. Muscles. So to make this simpler, can I just say that <laughs> the, the middle layer of the three layers for muscle? <laughs> but there's some interesting points to it because okay. let's. With in conjunction with embryology and comparative anatomy, mm. now this is skeletal muscle. You're saying skeletal muscles. I've read that smooth muscle yeah. actually comes from the ectoderm, neuroectoderm. Which one? Uh, the smooth. Sorry, smooth muscle specifically from the eye. The okay. Iris <laughs> comes from the neuroectoderm oh, yeah. and the esophagus. Sure that. That's getting really specific. Okay. And the esophagus comes from this as well. Well, the, now where's the esophagus muscle come from? The, yeah, the so musculature so of the esophagus, because that's different, right? Yeah, that comes out of the pharyngeal arch, which helps to form your face. Which was formed from which layer? Uh, probably you're probably right by saying it's 
big part of it's probably Neurocrest. Yeah, ectoderm. Which is, which is coming out of ectoderm, yeah. Okay. Anyway, let's get away from that because yeah, people away. are going, okay, one hour's down and they're talking crap I don't want to hear about. Yeah, but I'll, let me just put, and we can maybe finish almost on this, but let's say we're doing embryology in conjunction with comparative anatomy. But if you start off, again, I know I, I seem to like to go back to this, but when we look at a fish, right? Mm-hmm. Fish is just a body of muscles. Yeah. Okay, so it's like a cylinder of muscles. Okay. Whereas when we look on, once we go on to land, we start to form appendages. Appendages. Yeah, (laughs) appendies. Yeah? Yeah. So, arms and legs or wings. Yeah. Right? Would you say a fin is an appendage? You kind of could, but it doesn't have got, it doesn't have a, a, a huge amount of muscle associated with it. Okay. Okay. But, so when you look at the way, so going back to this somite that forms and we have a dermis layer that goes off and forms around your skin Mm. but then you have two groups of muscles that band off you have one that goes behind the vertebra yeah and one that goes into the body wall okay okay so the one that goes to the behind the the vertebra gives you so if you think feel the back of your back on your back the back of my back on my back back. feeling the back of your back at your back you know those ridges that kind of run in your lower back you can feel no they keep your back erect, upright. They're called your erector spinae muscles. Oh, yeah. Oh, so you're saying there's two long strap-like lumps that come outwards either side of your spine. Yeah. Yeah, mine are really big because I do a lot of deadlifts. Deadlifts, right. <laughs> they are probably... I wish it was bigger. They're the homologues of what fish, most of the body of the fish would be. Yeah. Okay. But as we've developed limbs and arms, yeah. we've had to shoot a lot more muscles out into our limbs to move them. Yeah. Because it's much harder to move the arms and legs and the wings and so forth at, and wings. compared to, say, fins yep. in the water. Okay. Okay, so you need a heap more muscles <laughs> than you do in your, just your body. Uh. Have I lost everyone? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a little bit. It's interesting nonetheless. Mm. And, then that, and then that gives you all the degrees of um, nerves that go with it. And okay. When you've got your upper limb and lower limb, that, that's where you get your brachial plexus and your... Okay, this is a good point because we haven't spoken about, and maybe it's something for next week, but we've just spoken about the muscle and the muscle won't just contract by itself. I mean, sometimes it can if you've got an ion imbalance, but the muscle needs to be stimulated to contract. Hmm. Now, if we're talking about skeletal muscle, each muscle fiber has its own neuron well, innovating it. it so you have a well, you have a motor neuron. Yeah. Okay, so one motor neuron. So that's yeah. one mus- one neuron cell that will come down and activate multiple um, muscle fibers. That's right. But what I'm saying is that a muscle fiber needs to have some innovation to it in order yeah, to tell it to contract. So unlike the heart where all all you need is uh, a neuron go into a single cell and the rest of the cells mm. fire off, mm. the skeletal muscle is not like that. Every single muscle needs its own in a muscle cell, which is a muscle fiber, yeah. needs its be own... Told to do. Need, yeah, that needs and to they, be told to contract. That when, you know, when you, that's if, important. They say that... That's a good point. So when you do go to the gym or do an activity for the first few times, you are, let's say, fairly weak doing it. Yeah. And then maybe you repeat it let's say a few d- times per week 
for the first maybe couple of weeks, you do get stronger. And they say that a lot of that is the efficiency of your nerves activating your muscles. Yeah. Which is the neuromuscular junction. Which we'll talk about next week. recruitment. And next week we'll talk uh, about Botox. And then it'll Botox. start to grow up. It'll, as in the muscles start to get bigger and bigger like we spoke about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is there anything else? Um, I was going to talk about some other things. What about blood supply? Um, well, that's part of the hypertrophy as well. Mm. So... As Which is growing of the growing the muscles, cell, so yeah. you need to make more blood vessels. So your blood vessels, blood, your muscles are very. Maybe rich. it's time to finish. Yep. It seems like the words are difficult <laughs> for you to produce. My muscles in my pharynx, yes, tongue, and where larynx. Else? Yeah, obviously the larynx. Uh, yeah, oh, so sorry. We're going to talk about okay next week or no, next podcast. No, 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 end with a few points. Oh, uh, what points? When we look at how the muscles in humans are different to, say, some other animals... Oh, like a fish? Yeah, we could say with a fish. Um, how they've become, in, in the adult form in the human, can be done through a number of ways. So, one, one way is the muscles have migrated from where they once maybe were first... Uh, I shouldn't say created, but maybe were they first... Developed. Not even developed. In the first instance in an animal, they would have first come about. So Evolutionarily. Good, yeah. So, a good example of that is yeah. the diaphragm. Okay, the diaphragm in say, other animals would be in the cervical region because the innovation of the diaphragm... In the neck. ...is the neck, right? But if you look at the diaphragm in humans... What animal has the diaphragm in its neck? I don't know. So, you made that up? No, I didn't. But there are animals where the diaphragm is in the neck... Well, coming out of the cervical region. At the because moment. that's where the nervous innovation the comes nervous. from. And so that's an important way of studying how you know we've come about. So you're saying our... our, by, our um, by the nerve innovation. So our diaphragm has migrated from the neck down yeah. down to the Borax. thoracic region. Yeah. So if in theory, and parts of it do come from the thoracic wall, but the vast majority come from the neck. And I was going to say, phrenic, phrenic nerve is... Three, four, five. Yeah, C3, 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 C4, C5 keeps you alive. Diaphragm alive, yeah. Keeps the diaphragm alive. So, the changes in some muscles is through migration. Mm. Okay, some muscles have come about through fusion. Okay, so they've just come from separate origins, but they're fused as one. Do you know any of them? Yeah, all your abs are an example. They're all separate origins. Yeah, so if you think about it, so um, look above the abs and you've got all your intercostals. Okay. Oh, yeah. So they're the muscles between your ribs. Yeah. Right. They all run in a certain direction. Yeah. So you've got your internal we'll go external. You've yeah. got your external intercostals, which yeah, run out. If outwards. you were to run up and out. Yeah, so they're the ones that if you put your hands into your pockets, yeah. That's the direction that they run. Yeah, so up and out. Okay. Or anyway, I can never remember that because it depends which way you're going. Yeah, oh, if you put your hands in your pockets, obviously your hands are going in. down and in, but the muscle fibers running up and out. Okay, all right. All right. Yeah, so those particular muscles, so if you were to cut through your skin at your rib rib level, yeah, you, the first muscle that you would hit is the, your external intercostals. Yes. So they run in that direction, but once you go below your ribs in your abs, you don't have, and Michael's using his intercostals as he's about to sneeze, <coughs> But you don't have your ribs to keep them separate anymore. Okay, so all your external intercostals in your ab region merges one muscle, which is called your external oblique. 
Okay. External oblique. Yeah. Yeah. And so then you go under the external oblique. Yeah. And the next logical one is the internal. Internal. And that's a homologue yeah. to the internal intercostal. Boy. Makes sense. They're fused into one. Gotcha. And uh, and then the final good one to to use as an example is your rectus abdominis, which is a six pack or maybe even the eight pack. Thank you. Which it has kind of kept its separation, and that's why you have the rectus bellies. means like straight across, straight, straight. yeah, straight. Yeah. Makes sense. That makes sense. And then you have the opposite of fusion; you have splitting. So the pectoralis is a good example. So some animals, it's a big, huge collective muscle, but in humans now we've got this separated little pectoralis. Well, some people's are bigger than others. Do you, <laughs> true. Do you have a? I was going to say, do you have a favourite muscle? Do you have a muscle that's you think it's the most interesting muscle. Ooh. Is there one muscle that you're like, that's... Because obviously you're in an anatomy. You would have come across a muscle that you're you're just thinking, I don't know why it's there or I, it forms, it does a strange function or it's connected in a weird way or anything like that? I haven't really thought of it like that. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just, you know, I'm having a look here at the human musculature of the muscle system and uh you know you're looking at skeletal muscles 660 odd skeletal muscles here going all the way from the top of the head to the tip of the toes and uh you can you know you see all the uh, ligaments and tendons and aponeuroses and you can there's so many in the neck yep and that, and that's a good point because so when you go back not quite to the fish but when you go back to the lower order vertebrates their body is still connected to their head. Okay. So is ours. <laughs> yeah, but we start to separate it in the sense that our upper limbs yeah. are now dis- are disjointed from the head. And so so what, what does that mean in regards to the neck muscles? Gives us, well, g- for, for instance, so the trapezius. The trapezius Which one's that? So that's the big um, triangle muscle in the back. Gotcha, and it goes okay. up to the... That is, that's come from your head, okay, and it's migrated down. And that's it's brought, one of the cranial nerves is innervated. Same with the sternocleidic muscle. Accessory. Yeah, it's an accessory. So, so is that why you can have, sorry to interrupt, you can have tight traps and it can result in a migraine? Maybe. Maybe. Because I was, if my traps are tight from activity and not stretching it out and rolling it out. You usually go into a, um, a tension headache, don't you? Tension headache, but I end up getting visual migraines and it's often from tight traps. So do you reckon it's, it's an accessory nerve issue? No. You don't reckon? Well, do you reckon it's because of its connection up to the head? I think it's more likely to be. So what, the traps The traps are connected up via the aponeurosis of the trapezius? Yeah, all the way up to the... All the way up to the uh, occipital frontalis. Yeah. And, wow. then, and then you have your tri- trigeminal nerve that will come in to the back and kind of supply that sensory. And I think trigeminal is the main um, pain-receiving nerve to your head. So Interesting. So you can have trigeminal neuralgia and stuff, which causes a lot of problems. So can you have a uh, trapezius pain in the trapezius that leads to trigeminal pain? Don't know. Is actually, I don't know if the tri- the trigeminal goes all the way around there. Just trying to think. Would it? It goes up, up to the temple. Goes forward. Temp- yeah. It's more at the face, but a bit will come around. But then I think the dermatomes is more C one two and so forth. I, I forget that. All right. Anyway, I think we should leave it there. 
we should leave it there. There's so much we can talk about with the muscular system. But uh, the, the big part of the muscular system, and if this goes to the students out there listening who are studying that, it's, it's a very good way to study it. It's not just to memorize the muscles on their own with the nerves and so forth, but understand kind of not only the embryology, but where they've come from, what are their functions, because that will put it into a much better context and yeah. you don't have to just rote learn everything. 660 skeletal muscles. That's right. All right, Matt. With origin, insertion, blood supply, nerve supply. We didn't, we didn't even talk about, you know, tedious. pennate muscles and how it can fan out and fan, mm. multiple fan outs, a single, you know, unipennate, bipennate, multipennate, all that type of and stuff. all the shapes. All the shapes. So you said trapezius, you got the rhomboids. Yeah, rhomboids. What's rhomboid mean? Rhombus. Which means, what shape is that? Is it like a flat square? Yeah, like that's it. It's like a, it's like a, like a tilted square, right? Mm. Yeah. Um. All right. Anyway, next podcast we're going to go through function. So, we're so going that more means into physiology. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to talk about how muscle contracts, focusing on skeletal muscle. How the nerve innervates the muscle to contract. What role sodium and calcium play in this process? And also clinically, we're going to talk about um, Botox which is, you know, similar to botulism. We're also going to talk about myasthenia gravis, if you've ever heard of that before. And we'll also talk about these two big calves I've got. Believe it or not, he's kissing his calves. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.